Welcome to Access to Justice. I'm your host, Evan Clark of Gahane Law. My co-host is Heather Mallark of Merrick Law, and we are joined today by a very special guest, Kim McDonald of McDonald Advisory. Kim is a financial advisor and insurance advisor with Raymond James Limited. Um, Heather, how are you doing today? It's lovely outside. Summer has finally arrived. Yeah, summer has uh, finally arrived. I'm doing really well, thank you. I uh, was in the mountains again last week. I feel like I'm spending every second weekend in Jasper, as I think everyone should, because it's lovely. <laughs> um, the weather's nice. My kids are off at the grandparents, so I feel like I've got a little bit of like a work holiday week going on. So it's it's, uh, it's pretty sweet, actually. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I thought that Jasper was just like a wintertime thing for you because a few episodes back, you're like, yeah, I'm just going to get some last minute spring skiing in. And then you just keep going. Well, I also like camping and hiking. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so have you, uh, um, has Mr. Stolfa wooed you to just move out there and join his firm? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it, it's like I went for a walk today for lunch and um, with my wife and, and she was like, it feels like Mexico, but what Mexico felt like in February. So it's nice that we finally feel like Mexico in February here uh -huh. in Edmonton. Uh -huh. Kim? I like the segue with Mexico because you guys all got COVID in, in Mexico and I just got COVID again. Did really? you? <laughs> Kim, stop with the COVID already. Cheapers. I got the razor blade throat again. So oh, no. I'm not going to be talking very much today, but I, I feel pretty, I feel pretty all right. And it's it, like Heather was saying, it's, great outside we need to be spending as much time outside as possible because this doesn't last so i know uh yes fleeting anything you wanted to tell us about your monitor so i mean our longtime listeners will know that kim's one of her nicknames is mad dog <laughs> and with that context kim is there anything you wanted to share well, my monitor, well, I broke it. Maybe it's because I'm so strong. I'm like the Hulk. I, I was moving it around and, and it, it snapped. And uh, now I've got my monitor resting on a speaker and I've got like these like business cards kind of like holding it up. It's why my head is kind of like breaching the, the video screen right now because my monitor's in the wrong spot. Oh, the struggles of life. So you know? It's been, it's been a bit of a bear market and mad dog just got fed up and she grabbed the monitor and <laughs> yeah, it. Just trash in the place. Yes. But otherwise I'm really excited for episode today because I know our guest extremely well and, and, and she's great. So <laughs> yes. And our guest, our guest today, I'm very pleased to introduce Karen Orser. Um, Karen has over 19 years of experience in the insurance industry, and she comes from a military background. She was a combat engineer and uh, was even deployed in Bosnia in that capacity, which I'd love to hear her war stories from that. I mean, we weren't, she wasn't uh, war fighting in Bosnia because we weren't doing that there, but I, we still call them war stories regardless. Uh, welcome, Karen. Thank you. So how has your military training helped you in um, making sure people get insured? Uh, you know, I, 
I, I've never thought of it that way. And uh, I don't know if there's a major correlation there. Um, but I do think it gave me a lot of discipline to um, just, you know, run a practice and um, be more diligent in business. I, I usually shine my shoes in the morning and have my, like, <laughs> that military kind of discipline just kind of follows you forever. Um, so there's a little bit of that in my, I always check my dress and make sure all my buttons are tied up. And, uh, and that's just, as Evan, you know, something you learn in the military is just to always check everything and be very aware. So I think that just followed me in business, which I think helped a lot. Um, yeah, that's about it. But in terms of insurance, um, I'm very familiar with what soldiers can get for insurance and uh, what the rules are around getting life insurance in uh, acts of war and all that stuff. But uh, kind of work more in the corporate space now, been in the industry for so long. Um, don't really tend to, those worlds don't collide so much anymore. Mm. Yeah. So, um, they, I read your blurb on the, not blurb, but like, there's a whole article on the, on the website and, um, you, you closed it off with a Rick Hillier, general Rick Hillier quote. What was that one? Oh, no, I'm trying to remember. Uh, it's the one about people. That's, yeah, that was, I, think it, I think it was, um, it in front of me, but it was something to the effect of remember it's about people and you'll never go wrong. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, which it's true. I, I do believe that you take care of people and everything just falls into place for the most part, if you're doing what's in the best interest of clients and the people you work with. Um, and that philosophy seems to work really well for me in terms of, and I do think most of the clients I work with, uh, if they don't, then I'm missing something, but I do think they get the general sense that I'm looking after them and not after myself when we're working together. So. Nice. And so we're not here today to talk about, uh, life insurance, right? Um, although you mentioned it, you referenced it, that you've, you've helped certainly people with life insurance in the past. You're now more in the corporate space. What does that tell me a little bit about what that means? Like, what are you doing in, in, with businesses? Well, it, I mean, business owners definitely have their family needs in terms of insurance, but they have their business. I know today we're focusing on disability. I think it's one of the most important things. Uh, if you're working, it's going to be one of your more, most important coverages. And I usually stand on a soapbox and shout from the highest mountains about, <laughs> uh, you know, if you're earning a paycheck and you depend on your paycheck, you might want to make sure it comes in if something happens and if you can't go to work on Monday. Um, and then with corporate spaces, what's interesting with business owners is if they don't have employee benefits, if they're a small business, a lot of times they don't even have any sort of coverage and they don't realize it. And um, most business owners are too busy to meet with us. <laughs> so they're too busy. Uh, oh, my, you know, I've got this going on. I've got all this stuff happening. I don't have time to meet with you. And I think, well, if you don't have time to meet with me, you don't have time to have a flu. You don't have time to get sick and you definitely don't have time to get a disability or somehow not be able to work. So, right. and if that happens, what happens to like the business, right? Cause that's a unit and entity in itself. So, um, you know, Evan, one of the things we can, it wasn't one of the kind of pre questions, but looking at shareholders agreements between businesses a lot of it has a lot of the shareholder agreements I review have um, a lot of information if a partner dies. Um, but we're living in a really different world today compared to 30 years ago, compared to two generations ago, where 
Um, the reasons people passed away back then, those are no, not so much apparent today. So for example, you know, if you got in a car accident 50 years ago, it probably would be a fatality on highway two, but now chances are you're walking away with not a scratch because those airbags and cars are just so much safer. Right. And now with cancers, um, imaging, diagnostics, all those things are just state-of-the-art now. We're detecting all these cancers sooner. And in terms of heart attacks and things that were killing people prematurely before, uh, those things have all changed. So we're about 20 times more likely to get disabled than we are to die prematurely. Hmm. And I feel like disability is extremely, extremely under-talked about in our industry. Um, there is a reason for that. And I think Kim will agree with me that disability is ridiculously complicated. Lots of roles around CRA to try to put policies together. And the contracts are very um, different from one another. And there's a lot of wording. The life insurance is so black on white. Uh, it's you're either not, you're either alive or you're not. And uh, with disability is can you do your job and what does your contract say? So, um, very important for business owners, especially because they might have left their nice group benefits plan with their previous job if um, if they want to go start their own company. And if they don't have their own benefits plan yet, they might not have any coverage at all. But that income is so important to that business and to their family. Heather, you're a, you're a small business and you've been doing this podcast for over a year now. And this is not our first time talking about disability insurance. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. um, how's your coverage? I have disability coverage. Yes, I do of my own privately. I also have business overhead insurance uh, and life insurance. I'm well insured. <laughs> How about you, Evan? No, you are such a good example to me that I'm trying to emulate. I'm terrible. I, in fact, I just let, I, I have medical insurance through the military as a reservist and I just let it lapse. So I have to like re go through the thing where I have to send them paid. I have to send them checks and then it takes three months to come into force. So I'm, I'm really dropping the ball insurance wise over here. So this is a good, this is a good refresher to, to find me to get insured. Evan, you were sort of like my primary reason to have Karen. Like it's kind of what made me think about getting Karen on the show because not all insurance people really understand disability and it's a really important part of insurance. And I, I was just thinking like all lawyers out there are probably struggling a little bit with how much to get and who to go to. And there are people who are better than others when it comes to buying disability coverage. So it's just a total treat to have Karen on the program because she also has a background on the back the back end side of insurance, it's not just the selling component, but her, where she started out was um, learning a little bit more the behind the scenes stuff. And I think that's where we're going to get lucky today, getting some information. Don't you think, Karen, this is like a big, a big value? Yeah, no, for sure. And I think like um, it's, it's interesting with like if we, we, you know, if we're focusing on lawyers specifically, um, a lot of them are partners and there's a partnership at the law firm. So how does that work? How is their income? Because CRA is going to have so many rules around trying to get disability in place. Most advisors, I can tell you, won't be able to put um, disability in place. I would say, and if you ask the companies in Canada that sell disability insurance, 
on a percentage, like how many advisors can actually put together a proper disability contract and do it right. I'd say it's under 10% of all insurance advisors. Um, it's really, really low. And so because they're not comfortable with it, they don't bring it up to their clients. So most of the files I come across, I have a client with a really high income. I'm like, Kate, show me your disability. And they're like, oh, I don't think, let me check. I have it at home and yeah, I don't have it. And it's like, okay, your ability to earn income is your biggest asset. Uh, if somebody's earning, you know, 100,000 a year, in the next 10 years, they have an ability to bring in a million dollars into their household. In the next 20 years, it's over 2 million. We're not including raises, inflation, and so on. So for some reason, something happens, what does that look like? And, you know, I'd love to say, you know, it's never going to happen to you. Don't worry. Don't like save your money on the disability. But, you know, even if you claim for six months, uh, in 15 years, that would be getting all your premiums back. Even if you just went on a short claim for, right. let's say some sort of cancer or some sort of, um, you know, and it, it could be anything. And, uh, you know, I was telling a friend the other day that, um, I never, I always thought for years, I thought strokes were for old people. And I had a really close friend have a stroke at 44 mm -hmm. and called me from the hospital, like, um, when she was able to make phone calls and it was one of the most chilling phone calls I've ever had. And it was, you know, it's, t t t t you know, couldn't even say her name. And I had a stroke, like that was the phone call. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, like just three kids at home just was very, you know, um, gives me goosebumps till this day. I just remember that phone call and it's just like, how does this stuff happen? Like a stroke at 44? Like, I don't even know, like the doctors can figure out what happened. And then she actually had a series of other strokes after that. So it kept going. So she wasn't back at work anytime soon. Um, so pretty interesting um, stories out there. We hear them all the time. I know I just had a recently uh, in the last month, a colleague had insured a farmer. And it's interesting because farmers are a tricky one to insure because number one, they don't want to pay for insurance. You know, on average, nobody likes paying for insurance. I know that does. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. I don't like paying mine either. <laughs> but uh, he was going to cancel it a year ago and he wasn't going to take what was called a rider called COLA, so cost of living adjustment. So as inflation, your, your checks go up, right, if you're on claim. And sure enough, he was farming and I didn't really understand quite the story, but some cat was faulty and flew off some sort of machine at high pressure and hit him in the head. And from what I hear, his x-ray looks like when you smash a plate with um, a, a hammer, that's what his skull x-ray looked like, was just like, and so he's permanently brain damaged, um, 41 years old, four kids. Uh, you know, do we see this coming? Never. Um, mm. And his wife called the advisor and explained what had happened. And they had tried to cancel that the year before. And she's just like, what we would have done. So now they've got, you know, other farmers helping them seed and they're coming together, but this family still has to live with this person. And so now he's going to have income coming in for the next 25 years. He's got that inflation protector, which we all know inflation today is really high. And so this family financially is going to be okay. I mean, emotionally, obviously, it's a really, really big uh, event to happen to that family. Yeah, but you know, emotions are tied to the ability to, to provide for yourself and self-sufficiency. So I would say it's emotionally significantly easier, notwithstanding it's still going to be hard for them, I'm sure. But it would be a lot harder if they're like, and now what do we do? Yeah. 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 We don't know if we can keep the farm or the house or all of those things. It's just additional stress that you don't need at that point. 
So today's basically just an intervention for Evan <laughs> to get him disability insurance. Is that right? Should we just go through the form right now? On and <laughs> date of birth, medical history. <laughs> so actually, so because Evan is a reservist part-time, it's very interesting because we do have to disclose his second occupation. And they're not going to like that one as much as his primary occupation. <laughs> Who gets hurt being a lawyer? Yeah. Uh, I got tendonitis. Well, and here's, here's, you just brought up a really interesting point. When we think of disability, I think the average person thinks of a physical disability. Mm. And would you believe most of the claims are actually mental health right now? Mm. So a good disability contract should cover you for burnout. And when I say like in terms of occupation, um, you know, focusing on lawyers or professionals or business owners, um, these people, high educations, earn good incomes. What does that look like if you can't work? Um, and then you're completely burnt out and you just, you know, um, and you know what? Sometimes I say to people, you know, it could be mental health and I get a look, you know, and it's, it's maybe, you know, a husband I'll pick on, you know, a typical male that might be like, Oh, care. Like, no, like I am solid. I'll never have a mental health. Well, let me tell you, we had a client whose son passed away and he was not going to work. Mm. I don't care how mentally strong you lose a child. You're not going to work tomorrow morning. Um, that's just how it's going to go. And he had to come back to work because they had hired two people to take over his job. He was a CFO. They hired one guy. The one guy couldn't do it all. They had to hire a second one. So they're paying the CFO, like the companies, the small little company with three owners is paying the CFO his his income he's not they have no disability but he's paying they're paying his income because he has a family and he's off work but he's dealing so they kept paying his income and then they were paying two other incomes on top of it and um he was um out you know for a little bit and then came back to work because the company had couldn't afford to pay these guys anymore on top of his salary but I really believe in it. I mean, I, I wasn't in his shoes, but from my perspective and just my two cents, that person could have used a few more months off work um, just to deal and grieve with the family and his other child and, and his wife, um, but didn't really have that. They didn't financially have that capacity to do that because the company just couldn't float everything anymore. Um, so one of the reasons, one of the things we did for them was what we call a wage loss replacement plan where we, um, so the, the company has benefits, but the executives and the owners of the companies aren't as well insured. So the receptionist has, you know, her full salaries um, covered, but then any of the executives, I mean, maybe only about 40% of their incomes covered. So we top them up through a plan. And the nice thing too, is we can deduct it as an expense, which is very unusual. Um, most advisors would never even know this. They're like, how can you deduct disability? How does that work? Well, it's a little bit more technical, maybe not the right form, but another day we, if anyone wants to talk about how to do that, we can. Um, but now the, the business gets to deduct, deduct that one of their business owners is off work. They can now float those salaries and this person can still get their income. Um, we don't want those businesses falling apart based on, you know, the, um, the key people, right. That need to be at, at work. But like I said, this guy is, Awesome person, headstrong, but you lose a child, you're like I said, it, it will take you out. And you never know how mental health is going to affect you. Um, Evan, I'll, I'll share a little uh, military story. I used to work with um, this guy who was biggest, toughest, just like Hulk um, in the military. And he went to Afghanistan and um, ended up 
running over a child with a truck. And when that happened, it, a local child, a local Afghani child, and then all the, the villagers, I guess, swarmed his vehicle and it was super intense and they were climbing the vehicle and trying to get to him. And let me tell you, this person's never been the same, has never gone back to work, like full on, um, just too stressful and an event, wasn't able to go back, was the last person that I thought would have any sort of mental health issues to go back to work. He's one of the strongest, toughest guys I knew. So just goes to show me, I mean, that we all have examples of people that, you know, fall apart and we just never know what's going to happen. So mental health is a huge one. It's a big part of uh, most of the claims on professional contracts, for sure. Yeah, that's, that is interesting. And I could see because um, people, I think there's a tendency to think about mental health, like as if you have, it's something you can control. You can't control if some accident happens to you. I mean, sometimes you can, if you like you make a mistake or something like that, like, but sometimes things can just happen. We accept that physically, right? Something could just happen to you. Like that thing flying off and hitting uh, the farmer in the head. Like sometimes things like that can happen. But I think, I think there's a tendency to think that's not how mental health works. It's like you have, we, I think we think we have a choice of like, oh no, well, this isn't going to affect my mental health. So I'll be fine. That's something I can control. But what you're saying is, uh, no, that's not how it works. Absolutely. I think the thing to, to keep in mind with disability is like life insurance, going back to being black and white disability is so gray. And a lot of advisors don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with claims because claims can go on for 20 years. Whereas a life insurance claim, it's a one thing process. You get a process, the beneficiaries get the check, it's all done. With disability, you could be uh, adjudicating that claim for 20 years. Um, like this farmer is going to be on claim for about 24 years. Um, that's a really long claim and they want to make sure he's still disabled and they check in. And um, so what's important is the definitions in the contract. So because it's not black on white is, can you do your job? Because mm -hmm. some people go, what do I need to claim on disability? What if I have cancer? It's like, doesn't matter what you have or what's happening is if you can't go to work and do your specific job, um, you need some money coming in. Um, what happens with very low entry level disability contracts is their definition is usually what we call total disability. Um, and this is the same definition you'll see on a, like a bank disability on a mortgage. Um, and I'm not saying all disability is bad. I think, um, I think it's important to have coverages and some is better than nothing, but best to talk to an insurance professional that can tell you if you're in the right coverage and why you are and why you're not. Right. But the problem with total disability is you have to be completely disabled in order to claim. Now, professionals, business owners, if you break your femur and you're in the hospital, you're probably going to be doing this, right? Answering some emails, booking babies, like making some phone calls. That's what business owners do, right? And as well as professionals who run a really um, big practice. So what happens is as soon as they saw you sent one work email, they're going to be like, well, you can work. You're not totally disabled. So when we get into higher income earners, business owners, and professionals, you want to get into a really strong contract that's going to let you do this as much as you want, but still get some income paid out for the hours or the income lost. So it just depends on, you know, exactly what's happening, but then you can actually get a partial payout versus 
yes or no, right? Um, and I think that's a huge benefit with business owners that they want to try to keep the lights running and kind of keep the business afloat. Um, what I would refer to as like playing peekaboo with your business, like being able to work when you can and don't work when you can't, but at least being able to do that because you don't want your business to fall apart if you're not there. It's not worth the disability claim sometimes. So people won't even bother going on claim because the definition is just too stringent. But with anybody with lots of income, lots of education, uh, I'd recommend making sure they have a solid contract. In, in terms of definitions on group benefits policies versus individual policies, Karen, um, is there anything you can tell our audience about the difference in, in the definitions? For sure. So group benefits is your employee benefits that come with your job. Um, the typical definition is totally disabled. Usually as an employee though, you're okay stepping away. Um, and we tend to offset those contracts. Like it's still better than nothing. Um, if you're really concerned about that, we can do a full individual plan, but the problem is then you're almost overinsured. And you don't know if they're both like they're definitely not both going to pay. There's only a maximum amount based on disability, based on your earned income. So it just depends. Um, the only thing, though, is after two years. Is that where you were thinking, Kim, is the two year mark on the employee benefits? Yeah. And I was just kind of thinking like people, I think the average person isn't aware that there are, you know, there's a disability that kind of retires you. There's a disability policy you can buy that you're allowed to keep working and get your disability. And within those, like to your point on the, the timeline, like your coverage duration is different. It could be two, five years up to age 65. And when you're buying individual disability, you kind of dig into those details because you're, you're talking about it. But when you get a group benefits booklet, you don't generally go through it and know what it is that you have and how long it lasts. So, yeah. um, so I mean, yeah. I, I actually have a client in that situation right now. And, and that's the thing with, because I do this so much, I always have a story <laughs> readily available, but um, we did have a client who had a massive heart attack, like flatlined for, um, I don't know how long, but was, and then they managed to get her back. So um, permanent heart damage, um, 56 years old off the top of my head. And um, so after two years, she actually works for the federal government. So fairly decent plan. And after two years, it's like, can you do any occupation? Well, she was like, high level management in, in the federal government. And she can't do that now. Like she just, she gets too tired. She's, she can't do her job. So technically they're looking at putting her in a very entry level job because they wanted to work. They're like, well, you can do this. So she's actually retiring because her retirement pension is going to be more beneficial than, you know, for her than working in a job she really doesn't want to do. So she's taking early retirement, but it was at the two year mark. She's ready for it. Like it's coming up right away. Uh, I'd have to check my notes, but um, I think it's like August or something where her two years is coming up and she's just going to retire because she doesn't like, they're forcing her to go into any job because that's what happens after two years. So in most employee benefits, they're fairly standard contract in terms of the definition and it's total, you have to be totally disabled. And after two years, it's, you can do any occupation. It's not just your own occupation. So gotta be careful with that. Um, and then the other, the one thing that's not standard on employee benefits is the amounts. So the amounts are always a little bit different and sometimes they have maximums. And uh, so best to just 
take a look at your um, employee benefits plan and calculate how much money would you have coming in if you can't go to work. And if you're happy with that money, you can budget off that. That's great. But if you feel like that there is a huge gap there, um, best to talk to an insurance advisor to see if we can even top up uh, any part of your disability. And what would a top up look like? Could you could you get five hundred dollars more, a thousand dollars more? Do you get to pick what that looks like? Yeah. I think most most fine a good financial planner will run those numbers for you and tell you what you have for disability and tell you where you're at in that scene. Um, and then if it's determined there isn't enough, they call up Karen and say, "Hey, I need more." What does that conversation look like? Well, we look at what you currently have. I need to get a better idea of what your occupation is because disability is so based on occupation. Um, and then depending on your occupation, we're looking at different contracts. Um, for example, some insurance companies will be more favorable towards a dentist than others. So as soon as somebody tells me they're a dentist, I know exactly which company I'm going to versus another. So that's just knowing the industry. That's a pretty basic one though. But um, and then what we're looking at is calculating income. So if it's just an, if it's an employee, it's easy. It's show me your last tax return. Let's take a look at your income. Let's take a look at your coverage and see if there's a gap and we'll top you up and this is how much it costs. Here's some options, so on and so forth. Um, if we have a business owner, we can actually use, so years ago was always a bit tricky because some business owners pay themselves dividends, uh, which is not an income, right? So um, the business owners would get frustrated because <laughs> they couldn't get um, disability. But now we're, we can use T4 income and we can actually use uh, corporate earnings to calculate uh, disability benefits, which we couldn't do years ago. Nice. And could I, if, if you make $70,000 a year, could you get like $200,000 in disability? <laughs> no, there's definitely a calculation. I can send that if it, yeah, I have like a chart with every income and how much disability you can get. If that's a good mark uh, piece, I can send it along. Um, to I mean, they don't want to incentivize self-harm. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. Thank you. I like improve my situation. What if I yeah. just... You can't make more when you're not working than when you would be working. I mean, um, I could live without this arm. <laughs> Yeah, you just sign up for some million dollar a year disability insurance. That's worth an arm. Well, right. the thing with or you can't do it. Well, the disability we look at uh, for income replacement is usually a monthly amount, right? So if you have a certain amount of income, like a hundred thousand, seventy thousand a year was what we would apply. I'm just doing basic numbers mm -hmm. for disability. Um, if you have a business owner, we can kind of do some more. The only time there's like a one-time payout on disability is if like for corporations for disability buyout, we could um, fund a disability buyout. So if a, a business owner is disabled, we can have a check coming in so the company can buy out the shares. Mm. I don't see, it's not common by the time you pay for income replacement, we get to that part. Sometimes, you know, I get it. There's only so much to go around in terms of insurance premiums. So um, I mean, it does make sense because we see that a lot um, working with a company right now that only had life insurance and all their shareholders and uh, shareholders, about late fifties had a stroke. So they uh, had to figure out a way, go to the bank, try to buy out his shares and put a lot of stress on the company for sure. Um, disability buyout would have handled that. So a lot of times with the insurance companies is why would we do insurance? And it's like, you know what, you have a risk, pass it off to an insurance company. I can easily afford it. Hmm. 
So um, what do you typically suggest then when you have, I think, let, let me set the stage a little bit first. I think what's quite typical here in Alberta for small, like smaller businesses is you'll have a few shareholders. They, they might not just be a husband and wife. It might be, you know, a few arm's length business partners that are the shareholders. And um, so they'll, they'll usually, they're going to enter into unanimous shareholders agreement. And those will deal with things like, well, what happens if one of the shareholders gets divorced? What happens if one of them dies? And you said it's common that they have life insurance to deal with if they die. So then um, they can buy the shares back from the, the deceased person and the widow will get those, uh, the money, et cetera, or the estate will, will get the money. Could be the widower, could be the children. Um, but did you say that there's, there tends to be lacking something in the, in the area of disability? What do you typically see then? Just um, nothing whatsoever? Other nothing. So like I'm looking for the disability and I'm going through 160 pages of a, of a USA and just looking for the disability part. Like, and, um, and then sometimes there is, but the life insurance is two pages long and the disability is this big and as a paragraph and it's just not. So then I'll come back with questions. Well, what happens if this happens? What happens if, and they're like, um, it's tricky though. I don't ever want to tell a lawyer, um, how to do their job. Cause that's not my job, but I do know that where it goes wrong. Cause I've seen those. So, um, we do, I do a lot of screenshots of different shareholders agreements for disability and it could be any firm too. It's some of the large firms that are worse than some of the small firms. You never know. It's, it's just, and I find it interesting that they're all so different as well. Those USAs are all written up so differently. So it's like, well, what if you have cancer for a year? And it's like one of them, I, I'd have to pull them up just to read them exactly. But from what I remember, it was like, um, if you're disabled, you have to ship, sell your, like the company's going to buy your shares within a year. What if you have cancer and you're in treatment for over a year and you want to come back to work and you don't get to come back to your business? Like it was almost too constrictive. And then other times it, there's just nothing there. So, um, I think it's a little bit a tricky situation. And then I look at to probability, your probability of a shareholder being disabled is so much higher than them dying now. But back in the day, let's, you know, our grandparents, let's just say, I'm going to pretend I'm the same age as you guys. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like the reasons they passed away, um, I, I tell a story. I, I, I don't know how much time we have, but maybe I have a couple of minutes. But I talk about, you know, my grandpa Joe playing hockey. And, you know, back in the day, grandpa Joe goes play hockey, beer league with his buddy. And he's like, okay, guys, I'm not feeling so good. I'm going to sit this one out. And they're like, yeah, have a seat. He ate too many chicken wings and beers, blah, blah, blah. Right. And the guys just kept playing hockey. And next thing you know, Grandpa Joe's like, okay, guys, like, not, I'm not, I'm not feeling good. Right. So then somebody goes, all right, let's call, uh, let, let, we should maybe call an ambulance. Right. So what does somebody do? They go down the arena floor, like down the hall to the office and, you know, turn the handle and shoot the office is locked all right who's got the key to the office so next thing you know another guy comes running around key to the office and rotary dialed seven digits because there was no 911 back then right and they're dialing now what's happening with grandpa joe over on the bench is he's having a massive heart attack right and so they finally get the ambulance there and grandpa joe passed away right? Like he just didn't make it because the ambulance takes about 45 minutes back then, right? So what did, what insurance did Grandpa Joe need? Well, Grandma Joe needed 
they needed life insurance. He passed away. She now got some money to pay the mortgage or whatever, what was going on. So picture this today, Evan, I don't know if you play hockey, but let's I do. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> Defibrillators, I think in every arena in the city of Edmonton. hundred percent. Thank you. That was one of my, like, what was it mentioned was we've got arenas. Every one of them has a defibrillator in Canada. And everyone has phones. At least you can get into the, your own locker room and get yourself. I feel like out. you've heard this story before. <laughs> No, I'm serious. That's exactly. So it's like there's 28 cell phones and somebody knows how to use the defibrillators and 911's in there within minutes. So the exact same incident today versus two generation ago looks completely different. But Grandpa Joe survived his heart attack. But what does it look like today? Is he going to work on Monday morning? Right? Yeah. Probably not. No, he's gone. Uh, he's got bills to pay. Yeah. So little like, exact same story, but years ago, that was a fatality today. It's, you know, it's a critical illness claim or a disability. And so we look at, you know, what do people need today? Cause old school, I'm going to pick on the old school advisors in my industry is that they're still just in the life insurance world when the living benefits are so important. And that's really where we need to be because hospitals have done such a good job of keeping us going. So the unanimous shareholders agreement should deal with it. And one option of um, helping the corporation do a buyout, for example, if that's what's in the shareholders agreement is with insurance. I mean, it's, it's pennies on the dollars in terms of funding. Uh, small companies, two big shareholders, like would have a hard time paying out when majority shareholders should something happen. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of say a bit of a, a little line and it's, you know, we sacrifice our, our, our health to build our wealth and then we use our wealth to buy back our health. And it's just all about like business owners, you know, working those extra hours, maybe not making a healthy meal and, you know, heading towards that fast food and just trying to keep that business going. Right. And uh, we do that. And I think a lot of lawyers do that too. <laughs> Not the fast food part necessarily, but those long hours, right. Where we're just working away, trying to build, you know, our businesses or whatever. But uh, at the end of the day, what does that look like for our health? And then if our health doesn't keep up to our lifestyle, how do we, how do we make sure we can still pay for bills? Right. So what does a lawyer do if they're listening to this podcast and they're thinking, geez, I need more information on what to include for disability information on these contracts I'm working on. What does a lawyer do? Do they, co do they consult the big carriers and, and get information there? Because lawyers aren't experts in disability insurance. They're experts in contracts. So what, Karen, what have you seen in terms of like really good quality contracts and, and what your thoughts are on how they came to get educated to put those together yeah there's definitely samples out there that are available um i can i have a few but i can track some more down like if that was important and somebody wanted i can definitely like it's easy for me to to locate that information i know a lot of law firms have precedents right they have their is that what they call them heather am i right um li lawyer lingo but yeah they have their precedents <laughs> for these contracts and it's interesting that every law firm uses different precedents and i'm like so, I mean, the shareholders agreement on two similar companies don't look the same at all. Um, so having, um, you know, just, I think it depends too when they were last reviewed. Um, some of them I feel like haven't been reviewed since the eighties because of the, the way the language is in them. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes they're a little bit more advanced, but we definitely have a lot of resources around that. I think too, it's important um, just to, identify different scenarios, um, whether it's an instant, like somebody 
being in a car accident and being a, a quadriplegic is like a deemed disability. Like there, there's no coming back from that. But what about short-term disabilities like cancer? Um, you know, do we want that shareholder just to take that whole year off? Um, maybe the weeks that they're not in treatment, they feel a little bit better. Like it, it, I think there just needs to be more writings around kind of the different things that can happen. Um, but definitely the life insurance is always the focus. Um, but I, it does break my heart a little bit to see, to pick up a corporate file and go, okay, show me all your policies. And they're like, here's our life insurance. I'm like, okay, one person might die. You guys are good. Let me check this over. Great. What if one of you guys can't work because of it, you know, you get diagnosed with something or anything, right? And they just go, I was like, how are you guys going to fund that? <laughs> what does this look like? And they go, oh, never thought of that. Our old advisor didn't talk about that. And I think that's just where we're going as, as a society. Like I said, I'm going to go back to, you know, we're, they're keeping us alive. Those hospitals are doing such a good job within detection and treatments and, and drugs to keep us going. And those cars are safer. Um, so really the reasons we passed away before aren't as that's why our mortality tables keep shifting as well. But I think this is and airbags. It's their fault. <laughs> there so, we go. Kim, this is this is volume six in this series. There's five more of these, um, <laughs> and, and this is called annotated business agreements. So those are all precedents for all the different kinds of agreements you could ever think of that a business might need, and it includes in there unanimous shareholders precedents, and that's one of the industry standards. It's not the only one for sure, um, and you get bigger firms tend to have their own library of precedents as Karen was saying, but I think it's also important to like, just because it, it made it into that, this big book doesn't mean that it's covered everything. I think it's really important for people like Karen to be in communication with lawyers that are drafting these agreements because the contract, I mean, the insurance is kind of the magic sauce. It's not so much the contract, but there has to be like, some consideration given to the fact that like Karen was saying, well, now more and more people are living through injuries of various kinds. Um, I have a friend, he's my dad's age. My dad's old. So he's like in his, he's, he's in his eighties and he's still working and he's, he's an old school life insurance guy, but he does more than just life insurance as well. And one of his big things that he does is he helps people, uh, with this specific type of thing, but not, not with disability, but, but with the life insurance side of things of like, uh, succession planning for a corporation if somebody dies. And, he, uh, he told me like, I don't know, last year that a lot of the unanimous shareholder agreements he sees don't address it properly to make sure that the surviving spouse gets the money tax-free. And it, but if you change the wording of the agreement this way, then it would do it. Mm. So that's just, I'm just using that as an example to say, yeah, we're lawyers are pretty smart and stuff. And we have all these precedents that we rely on that other older, smarter people have drafted in the past, but um, like they have to get tested before you can figure out if there's a flaw. Right. And so um, Karen's going to oftentimes be the one on the, on the ground to see like, Oh, that didn't work out so well, but if you had done it a little bit differently then. So yeah, it's yeah. Good. this is valuable stuff for anyone. That's a business owner. Uh, yes. You need, you should have a lawyer, 
And you should also talk to Karen. <laughs> and Karen. also, also in divorce too, right? Mm -hmm. On the family law side, Heather, in terms of like people losing group benefits and suddenly having to start their own policies, how often would you see that people's budgets include a new disability line and a new life insurance line and critical illness line? Uh, never. Very rarely. Yeah. I mean, if someone is already ill and has high uh, medical costs, they might be thinking about group benefits for that piece, like the medical coverage part, but they're rarely um, thinking about life insurance. I mean, I, I talk about it and we do talk about it sometimes, but often as a way to backstop those payments too, right? We're not necessarily talking about it for the for the purpose of life insurance. <laughs> um, and we're rarely talking about disability. Mm -hmm. Question for you, Heather, and I've always wanted to ask somebody this question, but I just never mm -hmm. came around and I feel like it's just such a uh, perfect time. Um, so say um, I'm married and my husband, I, I'm a, um, a domestic engineer. I'm a homemaker. <laughs> my husband's a doctor. Let's just pretend uh, he makes half a million dollars a year and we get divorced. There's a calculation there of how much income I have. But what if my ex-husband doesn't have a disability policy and stops working? Yeah. I where's, mean, where's my money coming from now? Cause I'm raising the children. Like, what does that look like? I don't, I don't like, cause the calculations would change based on his income, right? Yeah, that's right. And that would probably be grounds for review, right? That person, that payer would probably yeah. go back and say, I, I, I'm not earning this anymore. I can't pay it anymore. Um, so, I mean, it depends what your contract says about spousal support. <laughs> um, yeah. um, but even that might be reviewable. I mean, if that doctor had agreed, yeah, I'm going to pay spousal support for 25 years and it's five years later, um, they might be reviewing that because it's just not feasible for them anymore. Yeah. So I guess if you're, <laughs> if you're a divorcee and your ex-spouse has a very high income and is paying you spousal support, you might want to make sure that they have a proper disability policy and, mm. but I don't, then like, I don't know yeah. what that, like, I, I haven't so seen a situation like that. Can so you, much. can you buy disability insurance on your spouse, even though your, your ex-spouse I mean, you can, I mean, they have to be, they have to be involved because they have to answer medical questions. Um, but you could pay for it and like you could be the policy owner. That's what I'm asking. You know what? I'd have to double check. I think you could be joint owner. And that means that everything has to be signed within the two people. Um, I think insurance with divorced families is very interesting to see. It's usually on the life insurance side. Cause that's usually what people have, right. Is a little yeah. bit of life insurance. And then the court orders based on that. Um, I know we're kind of doing a bit of a tilt, but I, I do find it interesting. But I always meant to ask somebody about what if I was married to a high income earner, and that's where my my child support, my spousal support is coming from. And now my husband can't work, or my ex husband can't work anymore. Yeah, what do I do? Right, go go back to school with three kids? I don't know. Like it would be such a messy situation. Yes, is the answer. You would have to do. <laughs> yeah, I kind of think that falls on the divorce financial planner, all of this more, because in theory, they're helping with the budget. They're educating the client about what things that, that they might need. And they're going to put line items in there that, that if your spouse doesn't want disability, but you want disability on them, are you going to add that premium cost monthly in your budget to keep that, that part going and the life insurance component. And on the financial planning side, they could, 
they could do a rough quote on the spot to add it in the line item. So when it goes back to the lawyer, that could be a discussion that's had for, for high net worth people or maybe not even high net worth. But I, I kind of think that's not really the lawyer's role. I think it's more of the divorce financial planner's role to bring that up and, and indicate that this is something that, that should be discussed. I don't, I don't know. What's your take on that, Heather? Yeah. I, I mean, ultimately, I would love it if every family I assisted met with some, a divorce <laughs> financial planner and an insurance person and a mental health expert and all those folks. Um, but I think the reality is that lots of families don't. So, um, I mean, maybe that is something that gets added to our list of things to at least you know, with the run past clients as they're going through this, this process. We could at least mention it like how we mentioned, oh, and you should probably get a new will. Yeah. And you should probably look at maybe disability insurance. Yeah. Consider your insurance needs at this time as well. Yeah. And they'll probably listen to it just as much as they listen to other things we say, which is surprisingly little, Kim. You know what? There's clients. It's they're so funny. Timing's such a big thing with clients. Eh? They're like, "Oh, we're good, we're good," and then somebody dies or something big happens. I'm like, "I need my will done now. It's urgent." <laughs> and the same thing happens for insurance. I did get a call uh, from somebody fairly high up in the city of Edmonton and um, just found me on the internet, <laughs> which doesn't happen very often. It's and uh, I said, you know, he's like, "I need my disability topped up. Can we take a look at this?" And I was like. Are you are you disabled now? Because <laughs> you're sounding like this is urgent. <laughs> I'm about to be. Yeah, I was like, oh, what's happening? I was like, okay, I, I feel like you're. I can feel it coming. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, yeah, I feel a sense of urgency. Can you give me a bit of background story? Well, friend got cancer and told all his buddies go top up your disability plans. So he's like, that's what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, I've been meaning to do this forever. I know my income's a little bit higher and we have two kids at home and, um, but no, nope, gotta do it now. Okay. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> but you know, you could have talked to this person for 20 years, letting them know, but it's, uh, that timing. And I think with, with your, um, yeah. industry, it's, it's similar where something just, you know, hooks them up and they, then they finally get it done. And then sometimes they don't get it done at all and it's too late and, and it's a big old mess and we clean that up too. So. And then there's a GoFundMe and Kim loves to talk about the GoFundMe's in the context also, not just disability, but also critical illness, which it goes kind of hand in hand because it covers that, can cover that gap while you're waiting for the disability to kick in. See how much I've learned from this podcast, Kim? You're doing well, Evan. I, I know you're, you're picking up on things. I, I like how you always tie previous episodes into the current episode, which means you're listening. It, yeah. At least to some parts. Um, <laughs> To get into the disability a little bit more, though, we haven't covered this yet. And it's interesting. I have a client who um, suffers from vertigo really badly and um, just passed a threshold where now he's gone from short term to long term disability. What's the difference? What does that mean? That's a good question. So in your, if you have employee benefits through your employer, you're going to see two, two sections of the disability. The short term is usually something around, let's say 17 weeks, 16 weeks, give or take. Um, and that portion is usually a little bit more money. You're get you're getting a bit more money if you're on short-term disability. And then when you switch into long-term, it's 
the definitions and the amounts are different. Usually on, as a rule of thumb, the amount is lower. So maybe on short term, you were getting 90% of your income. And then by the time you get to long term, you're 66% of your income as a disability payment. And you said the definitions can be different as well. What do you mean when you say that term? Um, so with the short term, um, it's usually your job. And then by the time you get into long term, into two years, you might switch to that any occupation where they're going to make you do going back to my government worker. She was um, too tired to do her old job managing a ton of, of, of employees. So she they were trying to put her in a lower level job that would pay less. Um, so you could be forced to do an entry level job that doesn't take as much uh, brain power or things like that, things that you're educated for. So they could, that could be in there too. And then they wouldn't pay you that a disability amount. Then they'd say, you're able to work, just not where you were before. Go find that job because we're not paying you. Is that, yeah, that, so, that yeah, means? Payments will cease for somebody. Yeah. Um, for professionals, what's really interesting is um, if you get a proper contract. So say you were a, a dental surgeon and you had a disability you could actually continue to get your disability payments and go back and teach dentistry and still receive. So if you have a strong right. contract, because your ability to earn income as an instructor, a dental instructor is not going to be what it was before. Right. So you're being compensated for that. So anybody right. with high incomes, um, that's where we get into really larger disability contracts. And that's when the definitions are super important. And you got to deal with one of the big companies in Canada. There's just really no other um, there's nothing else out there that's going to work if something happens. So you want to stick with uh, the major carriers. And there's only really three companies in Canada that do proper disability. And there's probably about 20 insurance companies, Kim, give or take. Um, so not every insurance company offers disability. And it's very specific for sure. And, and um, those are? Uh, Canada Life, Manulife, and RBC. There's a bunch of plethoras of other little products. They're just not, those would be my three go-tos for professionals and business owners for sure. And didn't Canada Life just merge with, have some big merger within the last few years? Yeah. So Canada Life, Great West Life and London Life used to be all three separate entities all owned by the same company. And now they just did a big like corporate rebrand under all the same name. So their ownership actually didn't change. It's just okay. they now let the three areas of business all have the same name. A little bit confusing though, because we can't, uh, I can't look at a Great West Life policy because I have Canada Life contracts. So it gets a little messy, but we work around it. We still get the clients the info they need. Hmm. Huh. So is, is that distinction between long and short term, um, is that only generally in, in benefits plans as opposed to if you get your own disability? Yeah, yeah, definitely just only employee benefits. I don't see that otherwise. I don't tend to look at um, the short term because I'm not worried about short term. I'm not worried if somebody, um, one of the things I kind of mentioned is like, you know, you want to, when you get a new job, you're like, oh, I get 100% of my dental. This is going to be awesome, <laughs> right? You go to the dentist, you might still have to pay a little bit more because we know dentists, I'm not sure if everybody knows, but they charge above the, the provincial schedule. So sometimes you have to pay a little bit more, but you know what, you got to go to the dentist, you got to pay $50. You, you're not financially devastated. If you have to go get a prescription and you have to pay $14 for your prescription, but the rest is covered, you're like, oh, I wish this was all covered. Yeah, but you pay $14 and you get your prescription. 
But now what if you don't have disability, right? So it's one thing like, like not having a good dental plan or not having the best prescription plan, but those are the things people use. So that's what we look at. And I get it. That's what we use on a regular basis. We don't use disability on a regular basis, but the one I worry and I looked at first and foremost is always the disability, especially me just going to a different company. First thing I do is look at disability and most people don't look at it at all. And I said, well, if I can't work and I don't have my income, you know, I don't have to like, if I have to pay for a prescription, I don't have to sell off my house. Right. If I don't have an income, chances are our house is going up for sale in the next few years. Um, that's where families get into trouble. And it's not having that income coming in over and over again. Um, and it's it's really like your income pays for everything. It pays for your investments. It pays for all your bills, your mortgages, so on and so forth. So if that income suddenly stops, what does that look like? Right. It's also that little the little gray line that you can barely ever see in, in insurance contracts where it tells you if it's taxable or not. So you might, you might be getting like 20, 30% less than what you thought on your contract when you look in your group benefits policy. So important to kind of take note of if you're getting paid out pre-tax or after tax, um, the, the individual disability, it's easy to know what you're going to get, but group benefits is sometimes a little bit more gray. You know, Kim, that's such a good point. So years ago, most most big employee plans were non-taxable. So if you got 70, you were going back to the example, you're making 100,000 a year, you get 70,000. That 70,000 is non-taxable. So you're pretty close to your pre-taxed income, right? Um, or your after-taxed income. But what's been happening now is a lot of these plans are making changes. One of the biggest ones that was done a few years ago is AHS, Alberta Health, uh, employs 110,000 Albertans. And they switched their plan from non-taxable to taxable. And it's so heartbreaking to see all these hardworking nurses. And we currently have a 32-year-old that has stage two breast cancer and is really getting a small amount after that amount is, is taxed. Um, so AHS who does this, like, you know, people that like actually help people that are on disability. Yeah, yeah, you can take care of people, but when it's your turn to be disabled, we're going to make sure you don't get too much money. Yeah. So kind of chopping down HS right now, but as a major employer, that was really big news in the disability world. That's such a large Canadian employer is making their disability plan taxable. Another one was uh, CNRL and in, in mostly Fort McMurray and Calgary. Any other employees a few years ago made their switch their plan from non-taxable income to taxable. So now if you're getting two thirds of your income taxable versus non-taxable, it makes a huge difference, not only in that year, but long-term. So Kim, thanks for bringing that up. So how would an employee know if their plan is taxable or not? It's going to say in the terms of the plan, but uh, I, am I wrong in remembering that it has something to do with whether or not the employee is paying the premiums? Like you can tell if you're looking at your pay stub or not. Is that, yes, you both nodding your head. Yeah. Yes. So no, you got it. So like, like Kim mentioned, it's this gray little line that's impossible to find. So sometimes I don't look at clients pay stubs and they've sent me everything. So I'll try to find it in their benefits booklet. Um, just try to find it in the, the disability portion. Um, but otherwise, if they're paying for it on their paycheck, chances are it's a non-taxable benefit. So you do want to pay for your $86 a month on disability or whatever it is. I don't know. You're, yeah. But um, just it makes such a big difference. At, at least if you know um, that you're not paying for it and it is taxable, at least know you have a gap. Maybe increase your own coverage or at least know if you can live off that. Right. Okay, so if it's a taxable, if the insurance is, is a taxable benefit <laughs> that gets paid out, 
it's taxed. But if it's a non-taxable benefit because you're paying for it with your um, personal with, dollars, yeah, with your personal dollars, post-tax dollars, right? Then your disability insurance, when you receive it, is not taxed. Am I getting that right? Yep. That's crazy. It has to be kind of taxed out in one end or the other. They, they get theirs, but I mean, if your policy is taxed, I mean, that's okay, but just know how much money. All I want to know, all I want people to know is how much money do they have coming in if they can't go to work? Yeah. Um, yeah. Why, and would some, they, why would they do that? Because I was going to say, <laughs> that's, that's where I'm like, maybe that's too high level, but why would a company Cause that, cause what I'm insist hearing, on? Because the, the boards be, decide. Is, is, is it a, a bit, the same amount? <laughs> Right? Well, paying the same amount. It's just they're paying part of it to Justin Trudeau. Is it a tax is it beneficial to them on their financial statement somewhere that they pay for with, it? I think with AHS, and I'm not the expert, I could circle back on this. Uh -huh. Um and here I this is a total like <laughs> Theory. We'll, put, we'll put like a yeah. stars. I'm not sure. Here. Yeah, um, this is not. But it, because what happens is a lot of people don't like the, all those deductions off their pay, right? Mm. And um, so I think it was a, a board decision. Mm. Um, Interesting. Like an employee board or some sort that made that decision. Um, yeah. So. It, I mean, it's interesting, but I just want people, like I said, the, the main message is know how much money you have coming yeah. if you can't work. Yeah. And uh, sometimes there's maximums. So quick little example. I had a couple, he made 90,000 a year. This was like uh, kids of a client of mine. So more family market, but she was going on mat leave. Um, she has a good job, but she was going to, she wanted to stay home for the year. So she's losing her income down to EI. His income was 90,000. They said, oh, we'll be fine. And I said, let me take a peek at your disability. Will his disability max out at 30,000 a year? So I said, will you guys be fine on EI plus 30? And they're like, oh no, like it, hard stop, right? And I was like, okay, let's just do a quick top up because, you know, and he's got a pretty um, difficult occupation. So his risk is a little bit higher. Um, he does like commercial high rise roofing. <laughs> so I'm trying not to laugh, but um, <laughs> it sounds a little more dangerous. Than, yeah, than like a little bit of risk to that, right? If you so, fall off a feather's roof, I mean, yeah, you're going to get hurt. But if you fall off, what's the new, what's the new biggest building outside of Toronto that's in downtown Edmonton? What's the name of the tower in the ice district? The Stantec. Yeah, if you fall off the stand deck, yeah. you might not bounce And back. actually, there, the ice district, all that metal roofing was one of his projects. So um, that thing has angles, and I don't know what, but I wouldn't want to be doing the roofing on it. But uh, yeah, just to know, how much do you have coming in, and can you guys live off that? And if you can, you're great. But mm -hmm. uh, if uh, chances are, if you have a really high income, you have a very small percentage, if any, of your income insured. And, you know, we all insure hard assets. We have our houses insured. I can tell you if my car gets written off, yeah, I don't want to buy a brand new car, but I'm not going to have to like, I'm not going to be financially devastated if I had to buy a brand new car. Karen, we're forced to do that. That is why we do it. We are forced to, it's the law. The, the bank makes you insure your home. Otherwise people would not insure their home. And the government makes you insure your car. Otherwise I guarantee you many, many, many people True. would not. True, but on the car side, we don't have to do collision. We don't have to add the collision rider, which costs a lot of money on a brand new pretty car. Mm. 
but right. Do. But you're right, Evan, you make yeah. a good point. You're forced. And I think, you know, most people wouldn't bother doing a lot of that, but we add collision at a thousand dollars a year yet we can afford, you know, to buy a new car, but at a thousand dollars a year, how much would disability would that pay for you? If you can't work, how much of your income would you get replaced? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I have two questions, actually. I'm going to start with the first one. Um, you mentioned he that this family came in and did a, you said sort of a quick top up or, or something. Can you increase and decrease the amounts that you're insured for fairly flexibly, generally speaking, or does it depend on the plan? Yeah, 100%, Heather. So we can add, you can add insurance anytime you want. If you're healthy, if you're not hope that you have a rider called like a future income option. So you can, um, we do a lot with residents, um, any sort of professional that's just started in their career where they're low income, but they have the potential to make a really high income. We'll add riders so they can just buy the insurance later and not have to prove any medicals. We can decrease at any time. One uh, story was I was, um, I did a top up for a lawyer and she left that firm and went to work at a bank. And I called her up and said, Hey, let me take a look at your new plan. Cause you might be overinsured. And if you went on claim, you might not be able to claim on it. So I don't want you overpaying for something that you, you can't, you can't claim on. So we could decrease it. She's yet to send me her new plan. So <laughs> the homework, sometimes the homework's in the record and I just wait. And, uh, you know, you're trying to add a lot of really good service to clients for that kind of stuff, but you get to know them well enough, you know, kind of where they're at and what they're doing. And, um, but yeah, I would reduce it. So I'm going to take a look at it. Also like, um, an, an old assistant of mine now is an employee at a different firm and, I called them and I said, I think you have a really good benefits plan where you were compared to when you were here. So I think you can decrease your disability because at claim time, you won't be able to claim on all of it. So I don't want you overpaying for nothing. Um, And yeah, you can increase it. Absolutely. If you're healthy, you can buy anything on the market. That's kind of the secret to insurance is being insurable. Um, But uh, as soon as you have health issues, hope that you have that rider on your disability plan. And that makes a good point, too. Um, If you even have like a tiny little disability plan and you left an employer with a really nice, juicy, cushy employment benefits plan, you could leave and then start topping up your plan through these guaranteed insurability options. Um, And then you don't have to prove any medicals, especially disability. I'll tell you right now, like the underwriting and underwriting processes where we apply to insurance company, they decide whether they're going to give you a contract or not. Life insurance, critical illness, fairly easy. Disability, two, three times more complicated. Kim's nodding. It is. They want to know if you broke your toe in grade six. (laughs) Yeah. But But a strong contract, like we'll dig at everything, but at claim time, claims are so smooth. They're really looking for a letter from your doctor. I'm not having to prove financials. I don't have to prove anything else. Whereas your basic entry-level disability claim times are just going to be a nightmare and you're going to just hate the whole thing. So Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the higher end products and I tell clients that you want cheaper disability. I'm not going near those contracts because it's my name on them and I'm the one handling your claims. So we're going to, I'm going with the best contracts I have access to. And I know at claim time, this was your best shot at getting a claim, right? Right. What, What kind of percentage of your income would you be paying for a good contract? It's a really because, good question. Because the payout's based on your income. So I assume that yeah. the premium is going to be somewhat related. I know there's going to be factors other than income that affect your premium, but. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I tend to put that in my calculations. Like I'll do, I'll shop all the 
companies and then I'll look at their premium and I usually put like it's 2.1% of your income is I'll say between one and 3%, depending on if we're doing a top up, if we're insuring the full amount. So I'd say budget between one and 3%. So I do talk about, you know, here's your pie chart. Does it make sense to pay 2% to cover the other 98%, right? Mm -hmm. And people are like, okay, yeah, you're right. Because I mean, we we rely on our our disability, our income, and if we're disabled. um, And, you know, on a financial planning side with Kim, it's like, if we do a financial planning production and we show somebody, well, am I going to be able to retire at 65? What does this look like? Well, that financial plan is all based on an income amount at the top, right? So the client's income is a hundred thousand. I keep going back to easy numbers, but now we go, well, if you get disabled and you're at AHS, let's pick on them again, you're down to 45,000 or whatever. Um, let's put that number in as an, an alternative financial plan to say, Hey, like now you can't retire. Right. So I see plans day in and day out, like constantly, because I work in an investment firm and we have a lot of financial plans coming around. And I'm like, what if this, I like to stress test those plans. I know in Quebec, they, I think they have to, if I'm not mistaken, um, they have to stress test the plan for a disability and to show the clients what would happen to their income, to their retirement, if they were disabled. So we review the plan and put that new income in the plan just to say, if you got disabled, this is what your, your financial picture would look like. And I think that's that's really important, especially people who are planning to retire early or they're really set on, you know, um, savings and making sure they get to retire early. It's it's important information to know. So, uh, and I don't take me wrong. I'm not trying to get you to commit to a number because uh, I like I said, there's a lot of factors, I'm sure, that affect the premium. But what you're saying, if it's two percent and someone's making one hundred thousand dollars a year, then their insurance is only the equivalent of like $167 a month. Give or take. Yeah. Somewhere, Depending somewhere on their occupation. Right. right. I think you have to fill out the form before she gives you a <laughs> quote. <laughs> I know, but I'm just thinking like if people are, are, are hearing this and they're like, oh, I've got it. Look, I'm paying for car insurance. I'm paying for house insurance. I'm paying for life insurance. I'm paying for all this insurance. I have no money left. Uh, you know, I just want them to have a good idea of like, okay, what does 2% actually look like if they can anticipate it's going to be somewhere in that range? And it's going to be like 166 bucks a month. Yeah. Thank you. The most important thing in your life, you know, like, I mean, despite like put people aside, what is more important than your capacity to earn your income? Like you, you know, in some ways people aren't putting it at the priority and it's like why why are this why isn't this not a priority like you should give up your vacation to have disability that's how important this is so yeah I think Karen what you said earlier is like even if you make a short claim then you get all your premiums back right and uh, I think that's really compelling (laughs) really compelling argument yeah yeah. Um, and you, you can set it up. Like there's one insurance company that allows you to put what's called a return or premium rider. So if you don't claim on your disability, you get 50% of the money you paid in back. And sometimes mm-hmm. if you can cash flow that, go for it. If you, if you, if you've got a lot of other things to pay, I, I probably wouldn't recommend it because I, right. you want to still fund your RSPs and fund your TFSAs and all that. But um, I mean, there's other ways to own products. There's 
Um, if you have, Heather, you mentioned BOE, and I love business overhead expense because it's one of the few premiums you can actually deduct as a business owner as an expense. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the few insurances, right? There's not a lot of ways uh, that we can deduct insurance premium as an actual expense line on your accounting, but that one you can, and why not? You know, I have like um, optom optometrists who have big lease, beautiful building, you know, staff, if they can't work, we can pay for all the expenses at least. So that doesn't take care of their income at home, but that means they're not letting go staff. That means they're not having to lose their lease or their space if they're dealing with something really big. Yeah. So I think it's hugely important. Um, so I love the BOE. I'm like, I got a little excited when you talked about that. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, what, what products, I mean, there are definitely a lot of contracts out there with disability. There's lots of products, which one's going to make most sense. But if you have a high income, you're a high earner, you're a business owner, and you're a busy person, chances are you don't have time for a flu, but you also, like I mentioned earlier, don't have time to get sick or get disabled. And if it does, what does that look like? Um, so yeah, take a look at your disability plan is my biggest message. Open it up, force yourself to log in to your, and if you forget your password, it's okay, keep going. <laughs> Don't stop at that roadblock, you know, keep going. It's worth you know, it. Well, and sometimes I'm, uh, well, with COVID, I've been on Zoom quite a bit, and I said, you know, we're on our computers, do you want to just log in and I'll wait? Oh, no, I don't want to, you know, use up your time. I'm like, no, honestly, this is really important. So take your time. I'll just write some notes while you're doing that, and let's take a look at your disability. And Eight times out of 10, if they're employees, I would say, I go, this is perfect. You have zero room for top up. So most of the time, I don't I don't do anything on the disability part. Right. They're already properly covered. Um, and then there are times where I, you know, talk about, um, we didn't bring up non-evidence maximum, Kim, but she knows what I'm talking about. We did Sometimes. on our group benefits one. On our group benefits program, I forced our benefits guy to dive into uh, what that looks like. <laughs> yeah. So, um Sometimes I see clients with giant whole life policies that are future premiums will be paid by a future income. And I said, well, how can you guarantee your future income? Let's check your disability to make sure that if you can't work, you're not losing your entire whole life plan. Because that's the first thing that's going to go is that $30,000 a month deposit into your whole life. So um, making sure, um, you know, I'll see a doctor with a $300,000 deposit into whole life. And I thought, what if they can't work tomorrow? Who's going to pay for that? And everything they put in is pretty much gone, especially whole life because it's such a rigid plan. There's not a lot of flexibility. If you can't make your future premium, it's pretty much gone. Um, so uh, another reason. So all those things you pay for, how would you pay for them if you don't have a proper disability plan? I think it's yeah. good. Yeah. I think we've hammered this one to death. What do you I, think? <laughs> I actually have one more question that I think oh, sure. might occur to our audience. It kind of just occurred to me is um, how or does it at all um, private insurance or disability insurance relate to CPP disability? Are those two different creatures? Do you, I don't even know if that's a fair question to ask, <laughs> ask you, Karen. Yeah, for sure. Kim, do you know, how those two integrate? I haven't looked at it in a while. I feel like I'm, I wasn't prepared for that one, Heather, but I can definitely. Nice sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, I, I haven't bumped up against that either. I've had two clients on, uh, on claim with CPP disability, but, uh, mm -hmm. generally speaking, like a lot of times when your clients are on those CPP disability plans, you're not the owner of the disability contract. So you're not kind of looking into that as, uh -huh. but I mean, it's a good, 
It's a good question, Heather, and I'll I'll add it onto the website. I'll put the answer on our on our website when we get on there. So but uh, the website to get the answer, nice cliffhanger to drive traffic to the website. It also made me. It also made me think of another thing. Like people don't realize that their insurance contracts are portable amongst brokers. So they think because they have one broker and they sign the contract with them that they're stuck with that contract under that broker forever. But you can um, change the advisor on record and move your insurance policy to another broker if if you're not getting any attention or getting good answers from the original. For person. some weird reason, they, they sign it with someone at, at Edward Jones. They're not stuck. They can come over to Raymond James <laughs> and be saved and bring the policy with them. You know what? Sometimes I take a peek at these contracts and I tell them that this is awesome. This is great coverage. You guys are good. There's no changes for me to make. Yeah. And they're like, that no just, offense, just knowing that, that <laughs> I think gives them peace of mind. And then sometimes I'm like, actually, uh, one thing that didn't come up, but makes a really good point is as you approach retirement, what do you do with your disability? Mm -hmm. um, because if you're making, you know, hundred thousand a year, but you're going to retire in two years, you stop working, you know what I mean? Like, what do you do with it? So a lot of times right. what I do look at um, is I actually strip out all the riders because disability as a product is, a, I always call it a high rider product. You've got your base and then you've got a million riders more than any other kind of product. It's just, it's the riders are just all over the place, right? So, but in terms of an inflation protector, you don't need that really with two, three years before you retire because it's not going to make a difference. You're not going to need it. You're probably your, if your income's never going to go up again, you don't, you think you're at a ceiling. We'll take that future income option off. So tons of times on disability, we rarely, rarely, rarely replace disability. Usually the contract you had, if it's a bigger company, you're sticking with that. We're not touching it because you were locked in at that pricing from that mm -hmm. age. Mm -hmm. um, but what I do sometimes is strip out, just cancel some riders off those contracts just to save people a little bit of money because they, they're not useful anymore. They were useful when they were 20, 30 years old. Now that they're 55, 60 and they're closer to retirement and being at Raymond James, we do get the older clientele, people retiring people with assets. So uh, I tend to review those policies for them and, and uh, we just send letters just taking off, you know, $150 a month of riders. So another little message for anyone who's planning to retire or has a good income and you, you're like, Oh no, I'm good. This podcast doesn't apply to me. I have disability. Well, if you made it this far, you <laughs> might want to just take a look at the riders you're paying for because you could cancel those off without canceling your coverage or canceling that base coverage. So you'd still be covered, but you're just not paying for riders that really would never benefit you at this time and stage oh. in, in the game. That's really good to know. That's yeah, a good point. Um, closing note, whenever I hear someone talk about riders, I always just think about Van Halen's rider that there'd be no green uh, M&Ms. Or was it green Skittles? I can't remember, but no green. Yeah, it's green M&Ms. And uh, have you heard about that? It's no, I didn't know you were old enough to know Van Halen, so I'm a little confused right now. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. I'll take that as a compliment. Um, yeah. It's because the, the, like, the rumor has it that they had that in there not uh, to be ridiculous rock stars, but because their stage setup was so dangerous that um if there was green m&ms i know that they were in trouble because they didn't yeah. take the other stuff that's right that they were actually reading the contracts mm -hmm. rather than uh ah, yeah mm -hmm. love it that's yeah. yeah it's interesting well okay. uh karen that was great thank you so much uh i feel very motivated to get some disability insurance 
Oh, Karen. That's the theme today. Oh, Karen. <laughs> well, Kim, I already started working with you. I feel... Uh, oh, Karen and I, we're partners. Okay. It's just... Yeah, I'm an added value to Kim's team, actually. So you'd be working with... Uh, I'll just do the work and Kim, it's still working with Kim. We are are like, we are in this together. We don't, the the, one of the beautiful things at Raymond James is we're not competitive with each other. They don't pit us against each other. There's no downside for somebody reaching out to Karen. Um, It's, and, and she's, she's way smarter than I am. So why wouldn't you contact her? Not even close. The only reason I know a little bit more on the insurance side is this is the only thing I do 24 seven is insurance. I don't do investments, financial planning or any of that stuff. So I get to be a little smarter in that area because that's the only thing I do. And that's why your computer screen isn't broken right now. Fair markets have been difficult for Cam this past. Yeah, uh, poor girl. Yeah, uh, my my world is way more steady. Insurance has always been steady. It's. It, I actually think it went up a little bit with COVID. People started going. I've been meaning to buy insurance for ten years. Now it's maybe a good time. Right. But other than that, we're during recessions. People lose their benefits. They get insurance. When times are good, people go buy insurance. Like it's all. Mm. Steady Eddie, not like Kim's world. So no, Kim's brilliant. I get to see her in action all the time. I she makes my head spin because I can't keep up. So we we know Ditto. Kim's brilliant. We we also mm-hmm. get to hang out with her all the time. So we agree with you, Karen, for sure. <laughs> Anything we didn't cover, Karen, that you wanted to go over? You know what? It's it disabilities is a it's a big, big place. I think we touched on a lot of really good points. So thanks for the great questions. Um I'm sure there's way more facets to talk about, but that just goes to show how complicated disability can be. But uh, talk to somebody that's a professional. Um, and if you are you have a life insurance advisor, just go, how well versed are you in disability? And just maybe take a look at their face because most advisors won't touch it. It's just too complicated. They, they, don't, uh, they don't present those options very often. They usually have to go back to the insurance companies for some help on those contracts because they just don't know how to put the codes together, do any of that, or don't even understand what really, um, they're focused on life and that's okay. They, uh-huh. they, they can specialize if they want, but then they should at least pass those clients on to people who can uh, properly do a good job on the disability because it's all in the claims and making sure that money's there when the person needs it, right? Absolutely. Great. Kim, what about you? Anything that you wanted Karen to cover that she neglected? No, I, I think... You know, our hope is on the insurance side, our hope is that people really understand how important this stuff is. Like insurance people aren't just out there to get the sale. I mean, some are, but the majority aren't. They really are there because they understand the liabilities that are presented. The likelihood of disability is extremely high. If lawyers out there don't have disability, you've got to pick up the phone and get that put in place right away because it's just staggering how easy it is to become sick and and your life gets derailed. So I think, I mean, it, it, from Karen's stories, I think it's easy to relate why why it's uh, you know at least important to pick up the phone and ask some questions um, and and get it done. So I'm just tickled that she came on our program because it is a complicated area and intimidating. There's a lot of paper. Paperwork. It's not just having a broker who can explain the contracts to you. It's having somebody who understands the paperwork and will update these contracts when you get these notices annually to increase your disability or, or whatever. Like that's that's another really, really important part about disability that people just aren't aware. If your advisor is not organized, you're not going to get what what's probably owed to you on these policies. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Oh, really good points. And Heather, you had lots of good questions, including even stumping both of our <laughs> resident <insurance> experts. <laughs> I look forward to the answer on future episodes. <laughs> it's going to be on the website. On the yeah, website. There is an offset in the contract somewhere. There, there's something there, Heather. You're on I, to something. Yeah, I have a vague answer, but I don't yeah. I, I don't know it hundred percent. So I'm like, I didn't want to yeah. answer no, that's something good. I didn't. That's good, Karen. Your your lawyer would be proud of you for taking the office <laughs> approach. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Check out the website for answers to often, that question. Often Kim and Heather have had to give verbal disclaimers after I say something on here, usually about insurance. <laughs> And then Evan, I want to read all your volumes and precedences on the disability. I'd like to see what the standard is. I've actually never saw that. So thank you for educating me on that. Oh yeah. I, I don't need, look, I haven't even looked at the, at the USA in there. So I don't even know if it has uh, anything to do with disability. I assume it does. I mean, the precedent that I use for USA's for United shareholders yep. agreement has something about um, if a shareholder becomes disabled, but yeah, there you go. It's, it, it's Ontario based. All this stuff is Ontario based which is okay in Canada because even though a lot of the stuff is provincial, it's um, they're very, very similar anyways, but all right, Heather, any last words? Nope. All right. Well, Karen, thanks again for coming on. It was lovely to meet you and uh, to talk to a fellow soldier and to hear everything you had to say about disability. And I, um, you know, I have to, I'll send you an email. And we'll <laughs> <laughs> Alright, bye everyone. Any information in this video is general information only and is not nor is it intended to be legal advice. Watching this video does not create a lawyer-client relationship. You should always seek the advice of a lawyer or other qualified professional for advice regarding your individual situation. While we take care to ensure that the information contained in this video is accurate and up-to-date, we make no warranties or representations as to the suitability, completeness, or accuracy of the information contained in this video. Any reliance you place on the information is at your own risk. Kahane Law Office, Merrick Law, Heather Mallorick Professional Corporation, Evan Clark Professional Corporation, Evan Clark, Heather Mallorick, and any guests will not be responsible nor liable in any way for any content, including but not limited to any errors or omissions in the content, or for any loss or damage of any kind incurred as a result of any content communicated in this video, whether by Evan Clark, Heather Mallorick, or by a third party. Kim McDonald is a financial advisor with Raymond James Limited. Information provided is not a solicitation, and although obtained from sources considered reliable, is not guaranteed. The view and opinions contained in this media are those of Kim McDonald, not Raymond James Limited. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, RJFE, a subsidiary of Raymond James Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. When providing life insurance products, financial advisors are acting as insurance representatives of RJFE. Darkness of the dales dissipates, declines because of he who turns.